Well, hello, everybody. Gosh, it's funny seeing you here. I wasn't expecting it. But now that you're here, I think I've got some news for you that you might be interested to hear. So Allison's not with me. (laughs) That's kind of weird, right? She's normally sitting right to my left. And where she should be, there's just empty air. I'm looking at it right now, and I can't make eye contact with it. I, it's not laughing and or grimacing at what I'm saying, so it doesn't feel like that's Allison. But rest assured, she will be here momentarily. When you hear the theme song end, you <laughs> you will hear her. So it's all going to be normal. It's all going to be okay. I'm just kind of trying to warm you up for the idea that this is going to be just part one of a multi-part series that's going to be tackling Labyrinth this time, but this is going to be the standard format going forward. So from now on, we're going to be breaking up episodes into multiple parts so that they can be more digestible. And also, it's going to be easier for me to edit and get these things out in a timely manner, which hopefully means that you guys have more content on a more reliable schedule, and uh, I won't die under uh, uh, the weight of all this gosh-darned editing. So yeah, this is part one of Labyrinth. I hope you enjoy it. Hello! But every now and again in my life, mm-hmm. I need the RTR podcast. It makes you want to shout, make you stand up and shout. Well, that is just far and away different than <laughs> where I was going. Sorry. Well, you know, sometimes I just want to shout. Kick your heels up and shout. That's right. So, uh, but you said you need the RTR podcast and that's what? For an emotional crutch? Do you feel like we are somehow an emotional goat? That other people have all of their emotions built up and they don't have anywhere to put them, so they put them on our goat. And we send it out on the airwaves as kind of a scapegoat for people's emotional buildup. Is that metaphor too, like, strange? I mean, it works, I guess. (laughs) The question mark at the end kind of makes me think it doesn't quite. Oh, no. As we stated on one of our earlier episodes, that's just how I talk with a little bit of an inflection. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. You so, and your sister both, according to that teacher you had. Uh, Frank. <laughs> Frank. <laughs> Professor Frank. Frank. Damn you, Professor Frank. <laughs> so this is Rose Tinted Reels. Oh, yeah. Did I neglect to say that? Yeah. And we are covering... Oh, gosh. I'm so nervous. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So we're doing Labyrinth. And Allison has told me before we started recording that she's been having anxiety dreams about how she thinks I'm going to react to this film. Because if you just truly hate it and demolish it and just like rub feces over the memories of my childhood, <laughs> I don't know if I can take it. And so this is this is my biggest risk yet. Okay, so I asked you, I think, on another episode why you've chosen to do some movies before other movies. Because there are some movies that you love that we haven't done yet. And this was one of them until just now. Mm-hmm. And I think, is that why you're kind of, you're guarding because you don't know how I'll respond? You're a little scared that I'll... Hate it. Yeah? Just truly, undeniably, and with visceral reaction. With malice of forethought. God, like, because, like, even even movies that we don't quantify as good, 
we can still be entertained by them. Like yeah. waxwork. Waxwork oh, yes. is not Citizen Kane, as we've said a hundred times. It's but close though, right? It's pretty close. Right, it's close. I mean, just, you know, I think it's because they didn't rush the, the I mean, they, they rushed the script writing. So there wasn't. Three days, baby. Three days. And so there wasn't really so much time to just delude the story that was just so perfect i know exactly <laughs> right there was so much magic in that script if if some studio had gotten a hold of that uh, and tried to do like it. rewrites oh it would have ruined it forget about forget it forget about it <laughs> just forget about it okay you gotta be, forget about it it'd be cabbage it'd be cabbage fucking cabbage <laughs> but labyrinth is not cabbage labyrinth well we'll had- see we'll see God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna reveal absolutely nothing God, I've been living in anxiety for so many days. I, actually, it's been a good distraction from my normal crippling anxiety. <laughs> so you've got a normal anxiety problem, and I haven't added to it. I've just kind of, I've replaced some other anxieties. Yeah, I was able That's to, right. you know, stop worrying about the dolls that could or could not be under my bed at any given moment. I was just like, Zach, I'm watching Labyrinth. <laughs> I'm glad I've occupied that space in your brain. Yeah. Which is usually occupied by dolls. <laughs> That could or could not be under your bed. Schrodinger's doll bed situation. Yes, everyone's concerned about this, sweeping the nation. <laughs> well, it doesn't help that my friends consistently tag me in haunted doll things. <laughs> <laughs> well, you posted something with haunted uh, movie versions of board games recently in, in, oh. in the RTR community face place. Please yeah. join. Yeah. And I'm surprised that you had not seen the trailer for the classic Hasbro game. Don't wake daddy. Oh my goodness. I hadn't no, I'd never heard of it. And it sounds a little Did you watch the trailer I sent you? No. Oh, we should do that right now. I didn't now. know it was a trailer, if I'm honest. I saw you sent a link and I thought it was just like a Wikipedia article or something. No, it's a YouTube video. Someone actually released the nineteen ninety two commercial of which I'm familiar with, Don't Wake Daddy. They used to play it all the time during my, my Nickelodeon shows. Doesn't it sound a little bit uh racy? Sounds a little racy, doesn't it? Yeah. Hey, don't wake daddy. Oh, who knows what daddy might do? I like this voice. I don't know what it is, but I like it. Oh, don't wake daddy. <laughs> Father. <laughs> Speak, priest. Oh, please, please. In some way, we have to refashion a game so it's IT crowd. Uh, an don't IT crowd daddy. game would be great. Oh, don't wake daddy. Don't wake uh, denim. Don't wait, Denim. And then one of your player character options has to be Denim's Denim son. son. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it was Denim Renum and then Douglas Renum. So yeah. Douglas, yeah. Douglas. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the kind of, he's the thing that's trying to wake Daddy. Yeah. And you have to prevent. He's, he's the foil. So in every group, there's a foil. He's the, the one that's secretly working against you. The mole. Yes, chaotic evil. Yes. As we say Don't in the biz. wake Daddy. <laughs> is that the theme song? That's the theme song. Is that so genuinely you, the theme song? You have to really. All right, all right. We're going to play it on this podcast. <laughs> the game where you've got to sneak into the kitchen for a snack without waking daddy, land on a noise, and you have to press daddy's alarm. What happens when daddy oh wakes up? Oh, God, he's murdering everyone. He just worked the night shift, you kids. <laughs> this really reminds no, sorry, me. Not Hasbro, Parker Brothers. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we all know they're more litigious. Yeah. So we better stop now. So that kind of reminded me of a Bill Burr joke where he was talking about how his dad used to be when he was being raised in Boyston. So I feel like this came from a time where daddies were. The belt wearers? Yeah, they were, uh, they were a violent breed. 
My childhood just got real deep. <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't have a daddy that was quite like that, did you? Well, no. My, my dad traveled a lot for work, but he was the, the disciplinarian. It's like, Allison, if you don't behave, we will tell your father. Oh, no, don't tell daddy. And was that more the, the threat of his imposing personages? With my creative brain, all I need is the threat. Exactly. <laughs> so, but he, did he ever belt you one? No, he never needed to. Mm. So you, you never had a, a corporal discipline? I had the threats. Just, but that but never, never had to be acted on because I was like, nope, don't want that. Thank my, you. I, I didn't. My daddy, my daddy never hit me. But my mommy, oh, she used to wail on me something fierce. Your mommy, the listener. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, she's great. She, uh, my childhood was amazing and uh, never did anything wrong. That She's, a, she's an angel. <laughs> just kidding no, I was no. Like, I was like, your mom has been nothing but kind in my eyes no <laughs> she's a great person she's actually a great person <laughs> and i think she only as far as i can remember i think i only got spanked once did you really deserve it probably <laughs> but i don't remember what it was that i did i'm sure i deserved it but <laughs> can't remember why <laughs> <laughs> i got whacked in the head and uh, surprise surprise i don't really remember much of it <laughs> Anyway, all right, so this is the, what is this called, Labyrinth? Labyrinth. We are watching Labyrinth today, yes. and do you have any uh, any opening statements for this movie? Yes. I, we're kind of going off book right now. We but really are. We're, we're everywhere. So I will say, before we go on to your opening statements, but I do want to say personal news. I have to go grocery shopping. Do you have anything? Well, I guess it's a good thing I brought you snacks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We will be enjoying them off air so we don't have to wake Mr. Mikey the Censor. He is the podcast's daddy. He is the podcast daddy, and we don't want to wake you, Mikey the Censor. <laughs> this is where we get a superimposed Mikey the <laughs> Censor. What do you mean you don't want to talk to Mikey the Censor? <laughs> what am I, a fucking joke to you? I can't do his accent. I'm not I'm not very good at doing that accent, but, you but are I'm, sure, I'm sure that <laughs> when he is superimposed here, he's going to make some biting remarks. So, yes, my, my opening statements to Labyrinth. Now, I want you to time travel with me, dear listeners. Do we have a time travel noise? <laughs> That's good. 1986. I was one year old and still living in Germany, but let's flash forward a couple <laughs> years <laughs> to when we came back to the United States and had our first residence in the state of Maryland. We had a house that was about a mile away from this video store. My mom would load my sister up in a wagon. We would walk from home to the video store. Go to 7-Eleven, get a little snacky treat. I'm sorry, you said she would load you up in a wagon? Yeah, like one of the little pool wagons. Oh. Did you guys not own a car? Well, she wanted to walk. We would walk down there, and our reward at the end would be a little snack from the 7-Eleven, and we got to rent a video. Oh, what kind of snack would you go for? So I would usually go with a Kit Kat or a Reese cup or something like that, but occasionally I get real wild. I get a fun dip. A fun dip? Oh, I love fun dips. It's basically oh, like a sugar stick that you Dip in a pixie stick. Oh my God, those things. Honestly, I liked the stick more than I liked yes. the, the powder. Yeah, the, it kind of tasted like a pressed together cotton candy almost. I wonder which thing was more unhealthy. I think they were both sugar. One was just a solidified sugar brick. I know, but the powder tasted like something crazy. It almost like felt acidic on the tongue. Oh yeah, because that citric acid is probably used in the flavoring. Cool. So yeah, we would get that and then we would rent a video. Now me, being a little doe-eyed Allison... 
I would rent the same three things over and over again. One was The Witches, which is also technically a Jim Henson film. I didn't know that that was Jim Henson. I also didn't know that this movie was Jim Henson before I started watching it. I specifically didn't tell you about that or The Lucas. Yeah, and I saw that George Lucas was an exec producer, and I was surprised by that, too. Yeah. Georgie Lou. I didn't want to sway your opinion of the movie. So I would rent that. Um, There was a Chipmunks cartoon where it was like a hot air balloon race around the world with the Chipettes and Labyrinth. And I fell so in love with the Labyrinth that I rented it so much that they ended up giving me the VHS tape copy. I think that happened with me with something, too. Diddy Kong Racing? No, I think it was either like Blue Streak or a Dragon Ball Z movie. (laughs) So, long story long. It holds a very special place in my heart. It's one of the movies that I just so treasure from my childhood. I've watched it, I can't even count how many times. Actually, I'll tell you, this did, I didn't get this movie from Blockbuster because I rented it so much, but I did watch a movie kind of in the same vein, and that was Phantom Menace when I was young. <laughs> so every, I'm sure everybody in the world is going to make fun of me for saying that, but I was, I guess, the right age when Phantom Menace came out. I was still relatively young, and I watched the mess out of that movie. Like, I would probably watch it every day. I believe it just based on everything you've told me. <laughs> All of this to say the stakes are high with this movie. The yeah. emotional stakes are high. Yeah. I've had, like I said, it's been a nice distraction from my regular anxiety to be anxious about this podcast. It's been a vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're welcome. (laughs) Anytime you want to be stressed out by me rather than something else, uh, just uh, let me know. Yeah. I'll figure it out. You know, when the amygdala has to to search for a tiger in the grass, I'm glad that this was the tiger in the grass for the last two weeks. That's a really interesting phrasing. It's a really interesting phrasing. All right. So uh, also in podcast news, I, you know, I'm real sorry that I haven't been getting out the episodes as quickly as you would otherwise expect. But uh, I've got a lot going on with work. I've got my own game that I'm working on. And, you know, editing the podcast is now being my attention is being split mm-hmm. in many mm-hmm. different directions. So I apologize to you, the listener, and to Allison, and frankly, to myself. Well, you can only do so much. You're only human. And I mean, are you a Ferengi? Why'd you say human? <laughs> I really hope I'm like checking my forehead, my ears. Gigantoid ears. <laughs> yeah. No, no, not Ferengi. Not, not Ferengi? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll, I'll keep an eye out for you, though. I appreciate just it. Just in like case if, things change. If you see something like a little squishy going on with my forehead, my yeah. ears, and my hair just starts to recede. <laughs> also, female Ferengi aren't allowed to wear clothes. So you got to watch out for that. You gotta We're watch not out for one turning. of those liberal states that just have full nudity acceptability. Are there states like that? Yeah, Oregon, I think. Really? Yeah. Well, at least topless. You can wander around with with stuff jangling about. Yeah, in Oregon, and I think you can be topless in New York, but you can't be bottomless. Can you be topless in Seattle? I mean, if you can in Oregon, I imagine you could in Washington. I need to look it up. Don't just take our word for it. Just don't like leave <laughs> your house topless. But can you? You can. You can do a helicopter down the street. <laughs> Just sorry, the visual in my head is just hilarious. Just like like helicopter paddles. <laughs> well, I think that's still assault. You can't you can't have a helicopter fight with someone without the cops stepping in. What if it's they're consenting? It's I don't know. It still seems like a fight in the in the street. Whether it's ironic or you know whatever, <laughs> <Sorry>. it's still <laughs> still clashing swords at the end of the day. So it's true. It's a battle. 
Uh, how do we get to nudity? Ferengi. Ferengi. You're a female Ferengi, or you, you you could be turning into a female Ferengi possibly in the future, and you have to watch out for that. We're going to keep Because we're not sure out. about Maryland's laws. Yeah, because the last thing I want to do is be a lawbreaker. So if you're a female Ferengi in Maryland, what are you expected to do? You can't go outside. You have to stay indoors, and really in your own home, because you can't like just take a tunnel to a grocery store and be naked there, so you have to be at your own house. Yeah. And th- so, so really, female Ferengis are always in a pandemic. Yeah, that's a, it's a real shame. We need to talk to the lawmakers about this. We need to write oh, our congressman. The, the Ferengi lawmakers. Yeah, we need to. There are laws that are completely restricting their lifestyles right now. <laughs> and that's just wrong. <sighs> anyway. All right. So uh, in addition to going to the RTR community face place and just joining in with our lovely conversations, uh, I would also really appreciate it, and in fact, demand it of you, uh, to go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review, not a rating. I could care less about ratings. I want a five-star review. You got to spend words. I want you to put pen to paper and tell us what you think about anything. That may take a long time for the Apple people to upload the pen to paper rating. And I'll tell you what, I'd rather wait for that than have nobody do nothing at all. True. So one thing I will say is, you know, maybe if we had more, you would prioritize in your brain to, to yeah. do more editing. I'm, I might just put out episodes faster if I actually got some people telling me that they like the show. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not just going to sit here and work for hours on end and have nothing to show for it. It's crazy. It's rude. It's rude on your part. Not, not you. I pointed off in the distance. I was about to say, I'm like, but if I were to review on us, it would be false. It wouldn't be false. You can like it and be a co-host. <laughs> I guess if you, you know, don't like I, it and I you're a co-host. I biased, but I think this is excellence. <laughs> I think that this is the best entertainment available to mankind currently. It'd be great if we could get a five-star review from Mikey the Censor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he would like this show, though. No. It just, he, this is I, just a job for yeah, him. You're making me work too hard. Look, he's just getting paid. He, he doesn't care. This is not a creative endeavor for him. No. He's upset at how frequently we mess up. It's and he's got to come in and spend hours scrubbing this stuff clean. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, where did he come from? And we, we summoned him because I was desperate for him earlier. He's not in my chair. Does he have another mic? He does. He's sitting across from me. I'll see you guys. I got to jump out of the window. No, Mikey, don't do it. <laughs> oh, my God. Poor, poor Mikey. I think that's the second time he's jumped out of my second story window here. And, and really, he's just going to cost you a fortune in new windows. Windows are I not I literally cheap. just fixed that window. And look, I've got this, uh, the stuff, the wooden stuff. What do you call these? Little blinds? S- little, they're not, well, are they blinds? Is that what they're technically called? Right, Shutters? They're, they're wooden shutter blind things. I just got new ones put in. They're wood. Frankly, Mikey the sensor. It's rude you. Owe, you owe Zachary a new window. He's not getting paid for this episode. I'll tell God, you that he's much. He's going to come crashing in another window to argue with us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he must have hurt his leg. Whew. All right. So, uh, <laughs> all the broken glass nicked his femoral artery. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. So, uh, yeah, five star reviews, people, five star reviews. If I have to say it one more time, I'm going to say it another time. <laughs> and remember the five star reviews, they can be funny. They could be a story. They could be a limerick. You can they make, could be sad. They could make Zach have to read a haiku, which you know, he hates. Not a fan of the haiku. No, you could ask for Mikey the Censor to read your thing. You could plug something you're working on. That's right. You could plug hair. 
into your scalp. Oh, and I then tell us how that's going to go. Musical. I was like, they've, they've been doing okay with their own musical since like the 70s. Plug? Hair. Oh, hairspray? No, hair. It's called hair. That's an album from uh, The Fray. <laughs> is it? Is it uh, How the- to Save a Life? Where did I go wrong? I lost a friend somewhere along this bitterness there. Well, I stayed up with you all night. Had I known how to save a life? That was weirdly like a country version of the fray. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I go into here, <laughs> that kind of voice. So uh, I will say that hair is. Its so own. the fray, that is the band. You were looking at me like I was wood. But because you were talking about hair, the musical, which has nothing to do with the fray. Yeah, but I think that they've got an album called hair. I, I believe you because I don't know. I don't know either. I think that, but I don't know it. <laughs> Anyway, so hair is where uh, the um, Aquarius song comes from. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. I don't know if I know that song. You saw 40-year-old virgin. Yes, I did. You know, at the end of They're the- like sandbags. <laughs> like a warm bag of sand. Uh, <laughs> yes. There you go. Uh, what the- What? <laughs> we are so far from Labyrinth. What did we do? How did we get here? I don't know, but it's been 34 minutes. What's going on? <laughs> I- What? She, what? How do we get right here? I was talking about Hair the Musical. And Hair the from the Fray. And then uh, Mikey the Censor. He jumped out of a window. Lady Ferenki and Nudity. That was a long segment. <laughs> Which is unusable. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Let's Video sh- stores. Oh, and we got onto that because you were saying how, much, how many times you rented Labyrinth. Yes. <sighs> oh my goodness. We made it. <sighs> Holy goodness, we made it. The mapping. (laughs) Uh, So uh, I would like to present to you really quickly, and this is on topic. Okay. Uh, This is a fan theory of a supposed um, history of Jareth and perhaps motivations of why he became the Goblin King and why he did this. Now, it's actually really cool. No, but you're ruining one of my criticisms. So, continue. You can have the criticism because this is a fan theory. Oh, okay, good. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. So, in a time long ago, a sorcerer named Jareth fell in love with a girl named Sarah. Sarah's father and stepmother would not let uh, her marry Jareth, and because they wanted to keep her as a servant to care for their other child. In a fit of rage, Jareth kidnapped this other child and spirited it away to the fairy world. In this new world, Jareth built a palace for his Sarah. He turned the spoiled child into a goblin and kept it to be a servant. Many stories of the fairy world tell us that time moves differently there um, than in our world, if you take, for instance, Rip Van Winkle. Um, In the time it took for Jareth to build his kingdom, which he may have thought was a little more than a few years, Sarah grew old and died. Overcome by grief and addled by a lifetime spent in a strange world filled with monsters, Jareth goes mad. He refuses to believe that he has lost his love. He searches the mortal world to find uh, uh, from his castle looking for her. Sarah, which is a Hebrew name, um, is common and he <clears throat> and has been for thousands of thousands of years. Uh, it does not take long for Jareth to find a dark-haired girl named Sarah who has a younger sibling uh, and feels that she is being treated unfairly by her parents. 
Uh, In a fit of rage, he will kidnap this other child and spirited away to the fairy world. Perhaps this new Sarah dies in the quest to find the child. Perhaps she wins her sibling back and flees. This is how Jareth becomes the Goblin King. Every goblin in the Goblin City is a child Jareth has stolen, who has um, not been recovered or rescued by Sarah. And this is um, why he builds his maze. And so, um, in Wait, this, why is he? Why, what's the reason he builds the maze? Uh, he built the maze uh, for the original Sarah in this fantastical world for her. Uh, well, but, the original Sarah, I thought, got old and died. Yes. So, but she died while he was building this world for her. Oh, from the the way that this narrative was going, it sounded like he built it after, like long after she had died, and he was already searching for other Sarahs. Oh, gotcha. Sorry, that that may have been my reading. Oh uh, well, I, I don't know, but. Um, and so uh, one of the ways uh, that this also is explained is when our Sarah, uh, Jennifer Connelly, uh, first comes to the world, Hockle responds in his introduction to her um, when she says, I'm Sarah, that's what I figured, because there were so many Sarahs. It's an interesting fan theory. So it, it was just it was something that I thought was uh, interesting. I, I found this um, a few years ago, so it... Um, was recently the 30th anniversary of this film, mm-hmm. and um, it happened to coincide with the passing of David Bowie. Uh, and so this article came out, and it was just really interesting. Was that on the same year that uh, David Bowie died? So I say that because that's how they say it in A Bit of Fry and Lowry. Bowie, Bowie, what Bowie? <laughs> um, I, I believe it was the same year. Ah, okay. Or at least um, when I went to see the 30th, uh, re-release of the film in theaters they also played a tribute to his passing so it if it wasn't the same year it was just before it gotcha okay so uh do rest in peace david bowie we miss you rip the bowie so is now a good time to talk maybe we should dis- discuss my feelings about david bowie's music in the music section at, at, at the end of the movie or at the end of the episode yeah we we uh, wherever you think it flows best we can talk about it now Oh, gosh, I love David Bowie. I could talk about him for hours. <laughs> I know, but uh, I haven't heard a lot of his song. Good Lord. <laughs> looking at me in a very intense way. <laughs> I dare you to say something. David Bowie's music is... I don't know. It's all right. But uh, I just haven't heard a lot of it. And the stuff that I have heard is... Uh, I defy you to finish whatever sentence. <laughs> not that... Oh, God, what are you stealing my phone? You stealing my phone? What are you going to do with it? I'm going to cue up some music to prove you wrong. Oh, <laughs> feel free, but do it on here. Uh, well, actually, that will uh, cause that gonna... us problems probably from the... Okay. It's a long... Pla- well, so I am building you that email Good. playlist that we talked about for Mike and McCormick. Now I'll just also do a David Bowie. Uh, please do, actually. I want to like David Bowie because I like his style. May I encourage you to start by saying his name differently? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is that's who he is to me, David Bowie. So I like his style. Mm-hmm. I like his look. I think he lived a punk rock artistic lifestyle, mm-hmm. and that's super cool. Uh, the music that I've heard from him, I, I don't know. It's been all right, but uh, but perhaps I just haven't heard all the good stuff. Yeah, I'll I'll I'm gonna correct that for you. Good, good. I want to like this guy. I mean, honestly, music is subjective. Not everyone is going to like everything. Yeah. Um, But he has evolved 
countless times in mm-hmm. his musical journey. And so I'm convinced that there is going to be a song that you're just going to be really hip to. I just need to tap into what I think that would be. Good. So challenge accepted. I look forward to this. All right. Well, are you ready to go into act two inside the reel? Let's do it. The cost of living, a little bit of cost of living, a pound of bacon was a dollar 75 and a jar of skippy peanut butter was a dollar 49. Do not ask me why I wrote those two things down. I just thought they were kind of amusing. Maybe you wanted a peanut butter Sammy at the time. Maybe. Uh, I was you, looking we through. We did say you needed groceries. I, yes. I'm starving over here. <laughs> He's hungry. I think of nothing but peanut butter. <laughs> and bacon. But Jif? I know Skippy. Jif is the money. You like you like Jif better than Skips? I like I like natural Jif, the, the new natural Jif stuff. There's new Jifs? There, there's new Jifs. What's going on with this new GIFs? So there's the classic creamy and crunchy, yeah. but then they also have natural. And I really like the natural. It just jives on my taste buds. So what's the difference? Less is oil. it also, can you get a creamy version of it or is it like all natural? So it's got like knobby old chunks in it. No, I'm a creamy girl. All right. So am I. Ew. Ew. I hate it. Take it away. <laughs> You're a creamy girl. <laughs> I well, I said it. that I was too. So I'm a creamy girl also. <laughs> And we're back to the nudity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. Anyway, so uh, cost of living. Pound of bacon. Uh, jar of skippies. So you said jar of skippy was 49 $49? No, it was uh, $1.49. $1.49. I, I caught the 49 I was like, that seems really cheap. <laughs> yeah. No, it was the 86th year. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. The 86th year. <laughs> So here we go. A full survey is carried out of the Loch Ness, hoping to find proof that Nessie exists, and none was found. Shocking. It, well, there are some people out there that still hold out hope. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there's some... people everywhere who enjoy the, the whole cryptid zoological. Yeah, cryptozoology. Yeah. We've got friends that are into that. Yeah. Like uh, Mothman and... Have you ever... Whoa, whoa, whoa! You, I, I said we've got friends that are into cryptozoology, and then you jump in with Mothman. We have friends that believe in the existence of a Mothman? Yeah. What? Yeah. I don't even know about this. What are you talking about? Okay, so do you not do you not know the legend of Mothman? I know Mothra. <laughs> That's about it. And Barbudon. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> okay, so, th- oh God, this is going to segue into a big conversation. So I'm going <laughs> to encourage us to circle back privately about our cryptozoological friends. But there is this whole fandom for uh, the Mothman. I almost called him Mothra, which is not correct. And part of that is also stemming from the fact that there is a statue of uh, Mothman where they made him like this kind of beefcake boy. Like there, there's people who have a crush on Mothman because of the statue. So, but wh- uh, where does this Mothman? Uh, where is he supposed to have hailed from? Point Pleasant, West Virginia. West Virginia, Mount Mama, take me home, country fair. So people think that uh, the Mothman statue is yummy. All right, so Mothman lives in West Virginia. Has, has have there been sightings? Do people go on Mothman hunts? Yeah. Do people uh, put out uh, electric lanterns that try to zap him? Well, I don't know if they tried to zap him. See, in there, he kind of looks like a friendly guy. I'm looking at the little smile. Well, I don't know about how friendly his face looks. I'm, I'm mainly looking at the, the pecs and the, the abs. The abs look weird. The, ab, the, the abdomen. And especially, like, right under his last six-pack, his sixth pack. He's a 12-pack. <laughs> it's uh, The navel is just kind of, it's, it's like, higher up than it should be. 
right? There's a big space between his last pack and where his uh, his wiener would start. So, you know, I, I have two theories of why this could be. Okay. One is because, you know, moths are kind of that weird, like, bee body. And so maybe they were trying to go for that. The okay. other is because they were scared to make junk on a statue. And so maybe they just kind of cut out. Junk in his frunk? The frunk. It's because it's the front. No, I like it. Okay. They, they cut out the frunk. <laughs> they cut out his frunk. Where is the frunk? <laughs> <laughs> we've got the frunk. You, you better have frunk. that frunk. <laughs> oh, we've got the frunk. We've got a lot of singing in this episode. Yeah, this, well, it's a musical. So. I like that, though. <laughs> That's great. Sorry, look how excited this guy is to he looks like a politician too. He looks like a frunk. <laughs> he does look a bit frunkish. He looks a bit frunkish. This is what happens when we record off schedule. That's right. We get into a rhythm and I feel like we understand what's happening. Get off the rhythm. Chaos. Uh, so synopsis time. What is the real synopsis for this here movie? 16 year old Sarah is given 13 hours to solve the labyrinth and rescue her baby brother, Toby, when her wish for him to be taken away is granted by the Goblin King, Jareth. So the actress was 15. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Connelly. Yes. So I didn't know, did they say her age in the movie? I think they, uh, so now I don't know if it's because I know so much about it or if they do ever say it, but I know she's supposed to be 16. Gotcha. They may have said in the beginning before I was paying attention for it, but I started paying attention for it a little bit into the movie and I don't remember hearing it. When? David Bowie shows something like, oh, this is going to turn into romance. <laughs> yeah. When a middle-aged pop star drugs and then seduces a 15-year-old. Yeah. I was like, yeah, what age is this lady? What age is this lady and why is this all right? <laughs> and why was four-year-old Allison in love with David Bowie from this movie? Yeah. It's almost like he drugged you in a way. Yeah. 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 I mean, I he is... He was my first love. Yeah. So. Is this the first thing you saw him in? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's because of that that I know so much about David Bowie. Gotcha, David Bowie. And that's why I'm wearing a well, shirt that says Bowie. It's quite glam. It's a glam shirt. I'm, and I'm he wearing. He is the father of glam. Was he the first why glam? Why not Zoeberg? Yeah, 2016. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was he the first glam star? He's the one who kind of spearheaded it into people's minds and on their radios. Like he, he's not the first, but he's the one who made it what it is. Gotcha. Interesting. There's a lot about this fella I need to learn. <sighs> one day we'll need to watch Velvet uh, Mine, which again, I love it, but I could see <laughs> not loving it. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Velvet Underground. Which is a different thing, right? Yeah. Uh, Velvet Goldmine is kind of like an unofficial love story to David Bowie and the glam movement. It's about his love with um, Iggy Pop um, and that kind of romance and that time period. Um, Christian Bale is in it. Ian huh. McGregor is in it. Huh. Um, what year was this? Jonathan Rice Mayers is in it. Uh, I think it's 2001. Um, so it was around the 2000s. Eddie Izzard is in it. Dr. Ed's? Dr. Ed's. Dr. Izzy's? Um, Tony Collette is in it. Did oh, you? it's in 98. It's within my time. Ah, <laughs> you don't need a golden buzzer for it. Oh, thank God, because I have so many things. So many things. So many things. All right. So, all right. My, my bad synopsis, mm -hmm. my false synopsis is girl hate baby, girl love ugly gnome. 
mine is bratty 16 year old girl gets into an inappropriate relationship with an older man because of stepmommy and daddy issues and why does she, we'll get into it um <laughs> <laughs> so according to the novelization hoggle is a gnome brian frowned frowned Brian Frowned says that Hoggle is part goblin and part dwarf. So there's differing information out mm. there on what exactly Hoggle is. Interesting. Yeah. They also call him Hogwart, which is, you know. Yeah, they call him Hogwart and Hogwash and a few <laughs> other things. Yeah. That was a good running gag. I liked that. Yeah. Um, the role of King Jareth could have gone to Sting or Michael Jackson, but ended up in the best choice, in my opinion, David Bowie. You know, people don't know this, but actually Michael Phelps was also offered the part. Really? No. I was, like, I was like, <laughs> how? <laughs> he was a child at the time. I think yeah, he's like yeah. my age or maybe a little bit older. Yeah, and from Baltimore. And so I'm like. Yeah, they were looking for a British pop star. So <laughs> a middle-aged British pop star. So they went, Michael Phelps. I don't even think he was alive yet. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, anyway, so one of the choreographers for this movie was a person named Cheryl McFadden. Now, a year later, she starred in a little show called Star Trek The Next Generation, now going by the name Gates McFadden, playing Dr. Beverly Crusher. Ah, did it make you like this anymore? Uh, no, wait, it, you can't tell me because then I'll know. I'll tell you this, it didn't change how I felt. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't change how I felt, although it is, it's, a, it's a cool piece of trivia that she was a choreographer and actually she dances in Next Generation several times. I think she teaches... Uh, data how to dance for a wedding for huh. uh, for Miles and uh, Keiko's wedding. So it was kind of nice. So she actually did that dancing, but she was the choreographer and actually she had a scene in this movie where she was dancing. I forgot where. Probably in the, the ballroom. ballroom. Yeah. 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 Actually, now that you say that, I think I recognize her in it, but I hadn't before you said that trivia. I read this after I watched the movie, so I'll be excited to watch the ballroom scene again to see if we can spot her. That's really cool. Yeah. So uh, in fall of 1954... Jim Henson, then age 18, entered the University of Maryland um, and enrolled in a puppetry class. He soon began working with another student who became his future wife, Jane Neville, um, and they created puppets for together for a children's show um, airing locally in Washington, D.C. Um, on station WRC. When do you think he had the epiphany that puppets were going to be his thing? So it had to be sometime before 1954 because he already had kind of creations that got him into the puppetry part of. Also, kudos to you, University of Maryland, for having a puppetry division. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. What, do do colleges, do universities now have kind of niche programs like that still? Like, I mean, the, some do. Like, I know that at Radford, where I went to my undergrad, they had, like, radio studies, and they had specific film studies dealing, like, majors that you could get into. Um, I think more than specialist universities should have things like majoring and puppeteering. Yeah. Well, and I think some do at just how big the graduating class is in that specific field. Yeah. That, that's what remains to be seen. So from um, an early age, Henson actually used to have like a little puppet box that he would have his little makeshift Kermit at um, that he would do outside the Smithsonian. Yeah, that's pretty nice. He's a local boy. I believe, don't quote me on this. Oh, I'm going to. But I believe my opa, my grandfather on my mother's side, knew or met Jim Henson several times, Maybe maybe had dinner with him. Oh, I'm jealous because I just imagine that he and his wife were just so, and well, his wife is still with us, but um, just interesting people. I would imagine so. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame we lost the fella. How old was he when he died? Do you know offhand? Um, I remember that it unfortunately was due to something treatable. I think he had complications with pneumonia. <laughs> like but. Stevie Jobs. Basically, he killed himself because he had pancreatic cancer and didn't get real treatment. Instead, he ate nothing but like raw vegetables or something for two months and would like fast constantly. So Henson died of severe pneumonia caused by a rare complication from a common bacteria. And he died on May 16th, 1990. 1990? A year before I was born. Gosh, blast it. At the age of 53. Why do you have to go? Like Brittany Murphy died of pneumonia. She probably should not have died of pneumonia at such a young age. Charlie Murphy died too. Yeah, exactly. So it's just... If you feel like there's something wrong with your health, don't be ashamed or afraid to, to get help. If you feel a lump, see a doc. Mikey, the sensor, is that you again? Sorry, guys, I gotta go. <laughs> hey, he broke a different window. Yeah. Go out the same hole. What's, r- <laughs> what's wrong with you, Mikey, the sensor? <sighs> he came in to sing one bar and then skedaddled. He felt passionately about the same subject. What a jerk. All right. So the magic dance scene consisted of over 48 Muppets, 52 puppeteers, and eight people in goblin costumes. That's so cool. Yeah. That's a lot of work. It's all, We were talking about this in Gremlins, the, uh, the theater scene, mm-hmm. where they had seemingly, I, I think we did the calculations. Like we, like the, like the hundreds of, of the theater. Yeah. Hundreds of Gremlins all articulating at the same time, seemingly random. So I don't know if they had rigs that were doing stuff for them, but it seemed like it would have been a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Baby Toby. Baby Toby is actually the child of illustrator Brian Froud, mm-hmm. who did the character illustrations for The Labyrinth. But do you know why it was changed? Uh, because the baby was having trouble responding to a character name. Yeah. To help the puppeteer inside him see, there was a miniature video camera in Ludo's right horn that fed to a small television monitor mounted inside the puppet's stomach. Ludo. Ludo. You know, that, and also kind of tying into this may be a different uh, trivia that I've got down the line, but Ludo's costume was originally weighing over 100 pounds. Yeah. And Henson was like, you guys got to redo that. So they sent it back, and I think they said it was like 70 pounds after they redid it. Still pretty damn heavy. I think they had to have two people play him yeah. on and off. Well, so if you've ever seen kind of the under part of Ludo, like it, it's this his, weird his, his contraption. Groin? Well, no, like if they took off the, the hood of the puppet. Like there's, so there's a guy on there who's kind of like hunched over in stilts and yeah, like yeah. it, it's really cool looking. Oh, let me see. If Did I it can... look like the hunch over was uncomfortable? Cause I was wondering about that. Not having, I haven't seen the behind the scenes on how his effect was done. But it did look like someone was hunched over and it looked like it would have been uncomfortable to do that long term. The spinny hand when uh, David Bowie was spinning the orbs. It's not his hand. Ah, it was somebody. Who was it? Like the cinematographer or something like that? Yeah, because he he knows how to do ball juggling. (laughs) (laughs) Did not even think about it like that until you cackled like a middle schooler. I didn't cackle. I snickered. You snickered. That was more of a snicker. You're right. There's this whole behind the labyrinth video that's on the DVD. Uh, or I would Blu-ray. love to watch this stuff. They did, I when I rented it from iTunes, it didn't give me the extras. So directly before, like the week before we went on pandemic, I lent my copy to one of my coworkers. I may never see it again, and it was the special. Oh like, no! Yeah, so I need it back. But um, do you want to shout out your coworker's name? We can shame them on Molly. Air? Molly, I need it back. Molly. <laughs> Yeah. If you can put your lipstick on with your cleavage, that's interesting. But <laughs> like, huh? what, what oh, we need rewind. is we need the movie back. I, re- I rewatched that a couple days ago. 
Sup? Go on. Buddy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, what, is it your turn? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Hi, this is the podcast where we step on each other's toes. (laughs) (laughs) It's our thing. Um, There was actually 25 different treatments and versions of the script written. Um, So there are a lot of uh, chefs in the Labyrinth kitchen table. Uh, Illustrator Brian Frode uh, first pitched Jem Henson his version of um, a baby surrounded by goblins. Um, uh, And after uh, a screening of the Dark Crystal, he showed him that because Brian Frode actually helped with the design of uh, Dark Crystal characters as well. Mm Mm-hmm. And so um, using a story written by Henson and Dennis Lee as a jumping off point, Monty Python's Terry Jones and Fraggle Rock writer Laura Phillips each wrote um, parts of the script. Comedy legend and accomplished scriptwriter Elaine May did some of the revisions and helped humanize the characters a bit. And then uh, they actually ended up giving it to Spielberg um, because... Uh, Henson writes, he says, I, one of my problems is that I write too much. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lucas is very good at being like, eh, let's let's trim the dialogue back. Let's trim it back a little bit. Is Lucas good at that? Well, if he's better to it compared to Henson, that <laughs> that makes me wonder how verbose. Apparently, Georgie Lou was like, he said he was uh, best friends with uh, Jim Henson. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons. This is going back to something I said before. George Lucas didn't do any press for this movie, even though he was involved, because he didn't want to step on Jim Henson's spotlight. He said this was his baby and he wanted to get all the credit. That's really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently they sent it back. Jim Henson sent it back to Terry Jones because he said that after having gone through so many different cooks, he the jokes had been lost. He wanted Terry Jones to put <laughs> the jokes back in. Can, can you reinsert the humor, please? Yeah. Which is probably just that one scene with uh, uh, Dinmus writing Ambrosius and they do the heads like, huh? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I really liked uh, uh, Didymus. Oh, I love Didymus. Yeah. He's so cute. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, that's another quiz question you're going to get, right? So, so I am brave? Yes. <laughs> then I hide from now on. <laughs> <laughs> There's a difference between bravery and stupidity. My Didymus. sense of smell is keen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that. <laughs> he did seem to have a problem. So let me tell you this. Tell me. Supplemental material, including the novelization, explain that the man resembling Jareth seen in Sarah's bedroom mirror is a fellow actor that Sarah's mother left her family for. This adds a bit of significance to his role as the Goblin King. Daddy. daddy. Almost daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Could be daddy. Don't wake him. Don't wake daddy. Never wake daddy. Don't wake daddy. <laughs> so we got another situation of some almost leads. We got some almost Sarahs to talk about. Sarah Jessica Parker, I know, was one. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the only one that stuck out to me, so I don't remember the rest. Oh, one that didn't stick out to you is uh, Yang. Yang. Uh, what's her? I don't remember her actor name, though. Ali Sheedy. Ali Sheedy, that's right. Yeah. Okay. No, I did, I missed that. Uh, Jane Krakowski was one. Yasmin Bleeth. Sarah Jessica Parker. Mary Stuart Masterson. Laura Dern. Lily Taylor. Uh, Laura San Giacomo. Sorry, I said that very odd. Uh, and that, that's a hard one to say. Come on. See him, Jim Cormo. I've Pipe definitely face. read this fact before just now. Um, and uh, Mia Sarah all auditioned. Uh, Chris Kowski, Sheedy, and uh, Maddie Corman were at the top of the candidates until Jennifer Connolly just won Henson over. Henson, Henson just thought Connolly had the right stuff. Hmm. I think that Sheedy might have been a good choice for this movie. 
I think that that would have worked. I wonder what quality that uh, this, uh, what's her name? Jennifer Connelly. Well, I wonder what quality she had that Cheedy didn't have. Maybe like a girl next door type of feel, whereas Cheedy is more of a well, no, she, she eat, a, that. eat a sugar sandwich sort of vibe to her. <laughs> sugar Manny's Coca-Cola sandwich. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, and it, uh, it had cereal in it, too. It yeah, cut Captain the inside Crunch. of her mouth. Yeah. <laughs> she had no roof of her mouth after the filming <laughs> of The Breakfast Club, so they had to go with Jennifer Connelly. Ah, so she, she had blood dripping yeah. constantly. Gotcha. She had to go to the uh, Captain Crunch rehabilitation ward. I've been there. I've been there. I can't eat the stuff anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's a... Now that you have your new ironclad roof. Yes. <laughs> anyway. Hoggle. Mm-hmm. Hoggle consisted of a share. <laughs> I was like, what's wrong here? I don't. Oh, I was, I was kind of. We're do- on an infinite loop. <laughs> Hoggle. I was doing what uh, Hank Hill does when he says Bobby. <laughs> God dang it, Bobby. <laughs> dang it, Bobby. That's anyway. my purse. I don't know you. <laughs> I don't know you. <laughs> Anyway, so Hoggle consisted of Sherry Weiser inside the suit and four puppeteers led by Brian Henson controlling 18 motors inside the face rig. Manipulating a mechanical mitt on his right hand, Henson controlled Hoggle's jaw movements and provided his voice. Another puppeteer provided further lip movements with another on the mitt. So there's a scene in particular that I highlighted um, that is right before the ballroom scene um, where you really get an appreciation for the movement and the structure that they put into Hoggle's face where he watches her bite the peach and just, he gets just so crestfallen and it's, I, I love practical effects. And Jim Henson is one of those people that just puts so much effort into humanizing the puppets mm-hmm. and just giving so much character and small detail to the movements and everything. It's beautiful. Oh yeah. And in that scene, just especially it's just so highly showcased that I had to timestamp it. Heck yeah. And also there was a third puppeteer used uh, that used a fingertip joystick lever to control Hoggle's eyes and eyelids. The fourth used similar mechanisms to animate the eyebrows and the foot pedal to control the skin around Hoggle's eyes. A foot pedal. Like it's just so much dexterity needed to make this happen. But everyone also to work together in unison to create what the, so there's uh they rehearsed together for weeks to anti- so that they could anticipate each other's movements mm-hmm. while they were doing this. So I really want you to see the behind the scenes feature that I'm talking about because they get to, they show you inside Hoggle's face and uh-huh. like that, that whole process. It's so cool. I would love to see this stuff. It's so fascinating. So uh, Maurice Sendak wasn't actually pleased with the similarities to his work. Uh, The plot of Labyrinth was close uh, to the one that Sendak uh, wrote called Outside Over There. And some of the creatures were going um, to be referred to as wild things. And um, as most of you know, probably, um, where the wild things are is one of Sendak's work. So Sendak's uh, lawyers advise Henson to stop production and threaten consequences. In the movie's credits, it reads that Jim Henson acknowledges his debt to the works of Marie Sendak, and Sendak withdrew his objection, but was apparently complaining about it for several years after. There was also a Where the Wild Things Are book seen in her room. Mm-hmm. So I feel like he was... He was nodded to. Yeah, yeah. it's not like he was trying to rip off his ideas and not give credit. No, it, in everything I've ever read about Jim Henson, it um, he's just so, he's a good person. Like, I don't think he would do anything specifically with malicious intent. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's all the trivias that I have. Oh, I got some. 
uh, got some more. Do continue. Bowie uh, did his own baby noises. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, in the recording of Magic Dance, the baby on the recording studio was unwilling to gurgle more than the once needed time. So <laughs> Bowie ended up having to do it himself. <laughs> yeah, he, he did gurgling and he uh, puppeteered a little puppet off camera so that he would stop crying. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so Toby uh, actually recollected that while he has no memory of doing this film, you know, he was far too young. Uh, he was told by his parents that David Bowie did not like him because when they first met each other, he peed on him. <laughs> and he didn't like that. Yeah, probably not. Um, I mean, who likes pee? But I don't think Bo- Bowie has children. I don't think he's the type that would have held a grudge against a child. That That's a deep-rooted blood grudge. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a blood grudge against that baby. <laughs> <laughs> So on a, a sadder but ends in a happy note, um, Jim Henson was devastated by the film's box office failure. Um, Henson's wife, Jane, said that it fell um, to her husband like he was being personally rejected by his friends and audiences. <laughs> um, but before his passing in 1990, Henson was made aware and very pleased about the cult following that um, had started forming around the movie after the fact. So he was able to to pass knowing that his treasured movie actually meant something to a lot of people. I wonder why it was uh, such a big failure. I didn't know that it was a failure. I didn't see any trivia about the numbers, but I guess people just... So it, I think it's... I recognize that this is a very niche market. Um, well, how what, what year did uh, Dark Crystal come out? Were there... Was there 82, a, yeah. Okay, so was there a glut of other puppet movies? No. I mean, there was Star Wars with Yoda. Yeah, I mean, the, there was different kinds of Also, films. Frank Oz, who's with me? <laughs> so, like, fantasy fantasy films, uh, I think, are harder to sell, but kind of dark musical fantasy in this world, like, it, there's a particular audience who adores it, and I don't know. It, to take your kid to see this movie, you had to see the trailer or the poster, and decide that this was going to be the thing you saw. Yeah. How does that compare to seeing the happy great mouse detective poster? Like what would you end up taking your kid to now me? I know what I'm taking my kid to. I'm taking them to see labyrinth, but <laughs> well, having now reviewed, I don't remember what I rated the great Mouseketeer, mm-hmm. but I feel like I would have wanted to go see this as a kid. And as an adult taking a kid, I would have rather have seen having just seen like the trailers for one versus the other, I would have rather have gone to labyrinth mm-hmm. labyrinth. So, I mean, it's just, I, I think that it, it has a specific look to it. It's it, so it's, and I like the look me too, but I just, I don't know that everyone is quite as evolved as us. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. We're up on our ivory horses. And then uh, my very last thing, which kind of feeds into my, did it contribute something? Uh, they actually championed, um, a new technique uh, because they hadn't protect, uh, perfected green and blue screen technologies to what Henson was envisioning. Um, so in the fire scene where they um, they are, uh, you know, the, the guys who are removing limbs and whatnot. The weird, right, like red monkey things? Yeah. Yeah. So in that scene um, where they do the Chili Down song, um, they actually created um, a new type of screening which involved the blackest black velvet that they could find. Um, so the puppeteers were dressed all in that 
Um, and then there was the puppets and they were manipulating the puppets, but, um, and then Sarah was interacting with them and then they filmed the background after, uh, and it was easier for the puppeteers and the movement and Sarah to be interacting with them with the black screen than the available green and blue screen technology they had at the time. So we're kind of jumping the gun talking about if it contributed something to cinema, but I will say that that was the worst looking scene in the movie. It did not. So I, I, I'm well not going to say that they actually accomplished anything <laughs> real with that. No. Well, we'll, we'll get to it later. Okay. So um, we're moving into act three. All right. Is this movie? No, we're not because we've still got a quiz. Oh, it's oh. quiz time. I'm, all right. I'm taking a sip of water. I'm getting mentally ready. All right. All right. All right. Everybody get hyped up and bring your a game here. I have a feeling you're going to get a good percentage of the questions, but I, I, I definitely think at least a couple are going to stump you. Oh boy. You're going to be Mrs. Stumpy over here. So here we go. Question number one. What was the name of Sarah's stolen stuffed animal? Lancelot. There you go. Question number one accomplished. Question number two. What time does it start raining at the beginning of the movie? Oh, no, Merlin. It's seven o'clock. I can't believe it. All right. You've accomplished question two. Question number three. What does Sarah use to break through the glass of the ballroom? She picks up a chair. You sound like that was a question. No, I was just thinking back to the scene. She picks up a chair. Okay, that sounded confident. A chair is correct. Question number three accomplished. <gasps> Question number four. I'm so scared. <laughs> what is Sarah's father's name? Okay, so this is kind of funny. He is uncredited in the uh, in the movie. They just call him father, uh, but his name is Robert. And the only reason I know that is because I have... That's a family name of mine, so that connected to me. You are correct. <laughs> Question number five. You're four for four so far. This I'm is pretty so good. <laughs> uh, there were two knights guarding doors. One led to the castle, and the other led to what? Certain death. Correct. <laughs> five for five. <laughs> Question number six. I'm so scared. <laughs> I'm like, I just <laughs> there's so much pressure. <laughs> Oh, man. When Sir Didymus says to Sarah, should you need us, Hoggle follows up by saying what? Yes. Should you need us? Six for six. Oh, my God. I'm waiting for it to <laughs> fail. Like, it's going to be fail city. <laughs> like, seriously, if you look at my... Oh, I'm not wearing my Fitbit, but my heart rate's... <laughs> uh, question number seven. What were the correct words to say to get baby Toby taken away? <laughs> it doesn't even start with I wish. <laughs> I wish the Goblin King would take you away right now. That's not hard, is it? <laughs> Incorrect. No. <laughs> I, I, I'll give you a second go. I'll give you okay. a second go. I wish the goblins would come take you away right now. Correct. Yeah. Okay. You missed an and in there, but it was kind of implied. Oh, okay. Uh, yes. I wish the goblins would come and take you away right now. Is oh. the, so I'll give you that. You're seven for seven. Oh, my God. <laughs> eight. Question eight. Okay. The baby Toby would only respond to his name. So his character's name was changed to Toby from what? It's either Frank or Frankie. 
Because as an adult, I've known him as Frank uh, Frank Froud because I've seen him at fairy cons and things. But I think as a baby, they probably would have called him Frankie. Incorrect. No. Freddy. Freddy. Not Frankie. Fred. Damn it. All right. You've uh, lost one point. No, that's. But you're still doing real well. So that's you, a hard one. Yeah, that was a hard one. I, I told you, some of these are going to be tough. Uh, what was the name of Sir Didymus's dog? Ambrosius. Correct. <laughs> Question number 10. And there are 11 questions. Okay. There wasn't 13 in honor of the 13 hours? I should have done that. I Literally, while I was saying there are 11 questions, I was like, I should have done 13. But it was actually hard to find questions for this movie. Well, especially ones that I probably... <laughs> yeah, I was trying to find tricky ones, but... Uh... You've done well. This has been a hard quiz. <laughs> All right. Question number 10. Finish this quote. I ask for so little. Just fear me. Just fear me. Love me. Do as I say. And I will be your slave. Correct. That was good. That was good. You got there. I felt like you were a little bit... Uh, Shaky. Yeah, at the beginning, but you got there. All right, final question. Name the puppet that David Bowie used to calm Toby. Now, this is not something from the movie. No. But it, it's it's in the uh, special stuff that you... I did not know he named the puppet. I don't even know if he named it. It might have been a Jim Henson name, but it did have a name. Brian. Ryan? Brian? Brian. Rachel? Mitchell? <laughs> well, no, I just, I was thinking uh, Jim Henson's song. No, that was for, that was a family guy joke. Oh. Um, no, his name was Scooty. Scooty. Oh yeah. I would never have gotten that. That's all right. Uh, that's, that, that was a, that was a tough question that only the most dedicated of special feature watchers would have gotten. I don't, so that's the thing. I don't ever remember hearing about the special puppet. So that was new to me. Well, you did really well. What'd you get? Eight out of or nine out of you you missed scooty and you missed freddy yeah nine out of 11 hecka good that is that your best i think it's one of my best i you i also did I think well my on, best a karate kid was i did really well on that one yeah but did you miss i think you might have missed one or two on that i one. missed the the friend that ended up ditching larusso and new jersey you didn't and know jersey. what town in new jersey yeah. they came from because who cares <laughs> but so was I, that, I just lost all of our jersey <laughs> damn jersey well my uncle that listens to yeah. this he's from jersey i'm just kidding <laughs> it's a cesspit <laughs> she made a face everyone she made a face in agreement uh garden state because you know it's too long to fit oil and petrol refinery state on the license Ooh, that's from uh miss congeniality oh okay i was gonna say wow you're getting political over here <laughs> Uh, okay, no, okay, so, and I think that one had like eight or ten questions, mm -hmm. so I think this is technically better than that, because there were eleven questions. Averagely, yeah. Yep, yeah. so, uh, well done, everybody. Give Allison a round of applause. My anxiety through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> well, there it is. That was part one of Labyrinth. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did, because <laughs> I enjoyed the mess out of it. But stay tuned for next week. You're going to hear part two of Labyrinth. And there's going to be more hijinks. There's going to be more hilarity. Even more. Like, I'd say as much hilarity as you just heard and insight, there's probably going to be like, I don't know, five or six times that amount. Okay? So you've got to prepare yourself for that. If you're not ready, it's going to be overwhelming. How funny. <laughs> and uh, insightful this next episode is going to be. So stay tuned for that. I think I've said all I need to say, right? You're going to be back. 
I know you're going to be back, right? But I feel like we need, I, since Allison's not here with me, I've got to do all her normal thing. Julian Crowhurst made our music, cuckaw, and all of that. Um, leave us a five-star review on the Apple Podcasts. Uh, you know, that's it. You know, stay tuned for part two. It's going to be great. See you guys. Bye. Aruba, Jamaica, man, I wanted something. to Bermuda, Bahama, come on, pretty mama. To Key Largo, Montego, baby. The only reason I know. (laughs) (laughs) Got really into that last part. It's Beach Boys. You just like, (laughs) you did like a temptation sort of thing where you grabbed the mic and slid away. (laughs) 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 <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> <laughs>